It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy. And it's about people. It's about... Fin it's finally about people and not finally about science. The story, when you actually put it into words, is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny, uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great place, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over and are dead. But, you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Hello, welcome back to Generation Skywalker. You are listening to episode four of Those Old Fossils course i have the oldest of the old with me as always i've got craig spiver with me good evening craig good evening are you keeping well i'm very well how are you i'm all good mate all good so, uh, we have mr mark daniels good evening mark good evening sir good evening everybody are you gonna foo-foo it tonight mark i'm gonna foo-foo it hard <laughs> we have jez which should be his last one while he's away which is nice good evening jez Good evening, Stu. Hello, lad. It'll be quite interesting, Jess, because um, everyone just thinks you're grumpy because you're uh, miles and miles away. But next month, they'll realise you're just a miserable git, won't they? True, true, very true. <laughs> yeah. But you you guys actually bring me pleasure. I look forward to these oh. sessions. I really do. And uh, this month, we have a, a guest with us, a guest host joining the boys. We have Steve Savory. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, everybody. Now, how are you, Steve? Good evening, Steve. Oh, sorry. You, can't, Jess, you, you thought, crack on, mate. I, I just want to say hello. Hello. Steve said hello, everyone. Hello. It's not Stu's show. It's, it's the old fossils. It's not just one fossil. <laughs> now, Steve, you had, um, you used to be a, a hand focus collector and whatnot, and you, we all, most people will be aware that you had a, a big sale off for personal reasons. Do you have much of a collection anymore? Are you still involved? I'd say I'm involved as in I still have the passion. Um, and I still have a collection of sorts. I've got a complete loose run sitting in a cabinet. Uh, I've got a Billy bookcase, which is shelved out and full of cast and crew type pieces. Um, and I've still got a reasonable collection of artwork around the walls of my office. But I'm not actively collecting at the moment. So, yeah. So you did. You kept you kept bits that probably meant the most to you then. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're ready to dip in whenever you're in a position to. So very nice. Now. Before we get too much into the show this month, you'll probably remember from last month we, we spoke about dioramas and 
we all decided to come up with a, a diorama idea based on ESB because it is of course the 40th anniversary and whatever the winner of the poll was going to build the diorama at some point <clears throat> over 2020 now of course just having a quick rundown if I can remember it uh, Mark you went with an echo base kind of like wormery type uh, setup uh, Craig you were oh don't tell me something to do with best bin it was the Ugnaughts junk room wasn't it correct it was. Simon had come up with Dagobah with real life baby newts uh, I'd come up with something to do with the um or oh, dearie me the asteroids and of course Jez came up with Endor ESB <laughs> <laughs> in true yeah. Jez style now Craig you you ran the poll can you tell us who is making a diorama this year well, it's it's also fair to say that you did rather spring that on us live as we were recording <laughs> that we would actually end up making them. So, but you know, I, I was up for the challenge. Um, but we ran the poll across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and the results of the Great British Diorama Makeoff are as follows: in joint third place, we have Jez's Endor and Stuart's Asteroid. Great tactic. Yes. Yeah. In second place was was my junk room. So we have to, we have a tie for the for the winners uh, with Mark and Simon. So what do we do with that? I don't know. Well, I I, I think it's dead easy because Simon isn't here. <laughs> I think he should forfeit and get to make the diorama. <laughs> I uh, don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, to me, that's the fairest. That's the fairest way of doing it. I think the fairest way of doing it is if myself, Jez and Craig, we, we can come up with, we all get a vote on which one to vote for. Now, I'm going to put my, my I'm going to stick my, my flag right on the mark straight away to Mark. Oh, you, um, you absolute shit. One, because he's here. <laughs> Two, I think there's more chance of him doing it because Simon never gets around to anything. <laughs> That's true, true. So, and I would really like to see the Wormery Echo Base. So I'm going Mark. So if you get one more vote, Mark. It's you. No, if you have no, to go no. for Sai, it'll be Sai. Right, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, can I ask? Right, so brilliant. I was thinking, actually, we could put this to uh, to Steve. To Steve is, is okay. the honorary guest, actually. Um, but if you ask me, it's going to be Simon, hands down. Simon all the way for this. So that's uh, one all. Thanks, mate. Yeah, Mark, are you uh, private messaging? <laughs> no, I just said to him, I just, I just messaged him, does he want any more medals? <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah that's that's another one but you know it's, it's, it's got to be simon it's got to be simon i mean yeah he's not here to defend himself is he can i tell you what he'll do he will go in his garden he will get a rock he'll put some stinky water around it and find a creature to put in it <laughs> so uh, that is as good as it's gonna like get. your garage then my garage is is half clear mate with dead mice uh craig well I think because there's some wriggle room in this, because we have, you know, the, the parameters are very loose in terms of what a diorama might entail, as long as there's some figures in there. I, I think I'm going to vote for Mark because he's got the skills. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch! <laughs> but you know, I, I've got some ideas of how you could do it in a very Mark way. Oh man, oh, Craig, I hate you, mate. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not on. <laughs> Steve, if you vote for me, mate, that's it. Steve, what would you rather have seen? Well, I, I believe I actually replied to the poll, or at least I did did some interaction on Instagram with regard to this, and Mark did get my vote. I <laughs> wanted to see the, the, the Hoth the Hoth diorama built. This is a pretty fix, this is. So there we have it then, Mark. 
So you're going to build Echo Base in a kind of ant farm, wormery time of of display. If you can like do a like a time lapse video as you go, and perhaps we'll release the video <laughs> or say Christmas Eve, something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, Christmas Eve 2023. <laughs> uh, a little treat there, and I know Mark won't let us down. Definitely got the most time on his hands out of everyone I know. Thanks, boys. You're very welcome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God damn it. This is Rogue Two. Captain Solo, do you copy? Commander Skywalker, do you copy? This is Rogue Two. Good morning. Nice of you guys to drop by. Echo Base, this is Rogue Two. I found them. Repeat, I found them. Shall we move on to to topic one, which a uh, good friend of ours, I'm I'm sure we all we all know Ed Grant, who is the founder of Star Wars Forum. Personally, I'm sure we've all met him several times and, and chatted to him. Lovely chap. Now he posted up a, a, an interesting thread on the forum, so I'm just going to read his exact post. Okay, so bear with me. I have seen a few examples recently of competition for items driving up prices. There are a few good examples in the last Vectors auction, people paying way over what most people would consider reasonable prices to get their hands on an item they needed. This got me thinking about collecting etiquette for my own collection. I'm currently focusing on four main runs, two of them I was very late to the party on, I know that, so I have no problem seeing other more deserving collectors getting their hands on things before me. In fact, I'm pleased to see them make progress on their runs. On the other hand, for the other two runs I'm doing, I'm almost certain that I was the first person to try and do them. And I know for a fact that I did the majority of the research. The only public information you will find on the internet about them was by me. So for these, I admit I do feel slightly miffed that other people have jumped on the bandwagon and have managed to pick up pieces that I haven't managed to find yet. Does this make me a bit jealous and even greedy? Yes, probably. However, I put all the effort in and doing the research and made it public rather than keeping it to myself. And as above, I love seeing collectors complete runs they have put a lot of effort into. And this goes for others as well. So are there any rules when it comes to competing on scarce items that more than one person wants? Do you just throw money at it so you get the item at all costs? Should you take a responsibility to help the person who did all the research you've benefited from complete their set first? Or is all fair in love and Star Wars? This uh, this created a, a thread of five six pages over on Star Wars forum. So first of all, Jez, I want to come to you on this. So just because someone does the research on a topic, does that give them the entitlement to have first refusal when said item comes onto the market? And outside of like close friendships, would would you do it? Oh, this is a tricky one for the first subject because it's going to be, it's going to definitely split opinions and maybe upset a few people. 
when we talk about research, we're not we're not talking about you know cancer research or anything you know massively important, which is really really fundamentally going to be life changing. There's some research that people are doing, which other people are never going to read. Um, you know, whenever I think of, I, I don't know what specific carded figure um, Ed was talking about. I, my assumption is is to do a tri logo bubbles, because when I see or hear of that. I do think of Ed because I know him, but there's going to be an awful lot of people who have never heard of him, who have never heard of research. There are thousands of collectors. And yes, we talk about small groups of gentlemen's agreements and stuff like that. But this research is very, very niche. I wouldn't necessarily worry about a bubble or text, etc. if I just want the, the figure on that card back. So, yeah, I... I am not in agreement with what's being said. I mean, he's saying about competition driving up prices. No, it's demand. Demand for something is what's driving up prices. And when, and I kind of take a little bit of an issue with there to someone more deserving of that piece. Who, who's to say who is deserving of a certain item or not? You know, people could be doing all sorts of stuff to make them deserving or worthy candidates. But for me, the, the whole research thing is, is something which you're doing yourself. You enjoy the, the journey, you enjoy the value it brings. To make it public is brilliant, but I, I think we need to um, not be, I think, I think we're kidding ourselves if people think that certain elements of research for vintage Star Wars collecting are very well known. I don't believe in this case they are. To be fair, Jez, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. Yes, uh, like I said, I think, I think close friendships, you know, if you were collecting something and I quite fancied it, but I knew you needed to complete your run, I would let you go ahead, but if some some bloke I'd never really spoke to online, maybe done a bit of research, I've got no um, no connection with him and no, as far as I'm yeah, concerned, absolutely. no loyalty. So, um, and like you say, there's there's thousands of collectors and who we really know well is is quite a minuscule, isn't it? The amount of people you would actually do that favour for. So, absolutely, we're in our own little swim lanes here with regards to Sigma or Beyond the Toys stuff, Han Solo Focus, you know, we, we have our own little swim, swim lanes, but people don't necessarily know about that. People don't know about our niche little bits of collecting. Now, I've pointed Ed in the direction, well, I've sold Ed one thing and pointed him in the direction of a, a Luke X-Wing Canadian, because you do recognise that and you do understand it within your circles. But, um, yeah, I, we can't control the mass market of Star Wars collecting. So um, you have your, your good days and your bad days. For this, I, I, I wouldn't worry about it, and there will be another time. Mark, coming over to you, kind of very similar kind of questions. Surely if you spend the time doing all the research, as soon as you make that public information on a forum, on a social media, you're inviting other collectors to get involved in purchasing the same items you want. Do you think collectors have an obligation to... The people that do the research? Absolutely none whatsoever. Uh, if you decide to publish that research, and like Jez has mentioned, it's, we're not talking cancer cures here. We're not talking things that are copywritten or uh, protected legally. This is the collector community uh, working together. And if you decide you're going to do some research and publish that research on a, on a forum, you are helping the community understand a specific area that the, uh, other people are collecting or, or whatever you don't have ownership of it it's just it, it, it's it's there for everybody to see all you've done is brought it to light 
Um, so yeah, you, you don't have ownership of it, and therefore you don't have the, the you know the, the hierarchy in terms of um, being able to get hold of an item that you should be getting to complete a run. It, it, to me, it's it's a personal it's a personal thing, isn't it? I mean, the way I look at it, if I if I am looking for a piece and I'm able to uh, obtain it, then great. But if I don't have to have a piece to complete a run or, or whatever, and I know somebody else that does need it, then I've lost count how many times I've tagged people. And I get messages pretty much every other day, somebody after a certain thing. And I have to try and remember all these people are after certain pieces. And I do my best in trying to tag somebody. Like uh, Lee Simon Jacobs was um, after a, a pink layer shampoo bottle you know you know the one i'm talking the one that looks like a skill uh and one popped up on ebay and the first thing i did and as soon as i saw it was tagging because i know he'd been after one for a long time i didn't need it if i had needed it then you know the circumstances would have been different uh, but i do not believe at all that anybody has you know dibs on any particular item just because they've done research on it no i i, I don't craig now You've been around collecting a fair time, a good couple of decades at least. Uh, it's actually longer, isn't it? Yeah. Have you ever seen any unwritten rules of code or conduct ever been mentioned, even when, like, Rebel Scum was the place to collect or or anything when it comes to competing for scarce items? No, no, no one ever. Not that anyone copied me in on any way. You know, as, as we've discussed, there are gentlemen's agreements that, that take place, I think, with, with smaller subsections of the community. But uh, no, there's there's no sort of etiquette as, as such that that I've observed over the years. Although I think it's a it's a really interesting topic, and I do understand where Ed is coming from as somebody who has researched things and put them out there. I remember before we went on to do the um, collecting track um, on the Helix presentation that we put together, uh, Mark, myself, and uh, Grant. That one of us, and I can't remember which one of us it was, joked that, you know, you do realise we're never going to win an auction again on eBay <laughs> for any of this stuff. And that was pretty much true for a long while after. But we kind of knew that. We, we knew that presenting that that work to 300 Star Wars collectors would pique some people's interest and, and create competition for ourselves because we all collected that stuff. So I, I, I do understand, but yeah, no, we don't have any... Um, any right over that steve what, what about competition driving up prices like like Jesha, surely that's just goes hand in hand with collecting yeah it's absolutely it's it's what's available and what the demand is for it i guess i guess there's an element that if you put the information out there and as craig's just just alluded to that you share that with hundreds of people um those hundreds of people might get turned on to what it is that you've done the work on and what the information you're sharing and they may think hey that's quite a good idea and obviously the more people that then want to do that the less there will be available and the more expensive that will become um i think we've all we've all seen that you know 2014 15 onwards right the way down to you know loose figures and princess layers going to kind of hundred pounds when they used to be 20 or 30 pound figures at most it's a lot more people get excited about something the price will go up i do have a positive story i remember in the early 2000s that you know i'd be bidding on the things i like um, that everyone knows i like um and 
I was contacted by a seller, just a, a, another kind of eBay out of the blue saying, listen, you don't know me, I don't know you, but we're bidding on the same stuff all the time. I think we could probably join forces and you've probably got things I want, I've probably got things you want. And um, that that formed a, a little arrangement where we would sort of call dibs on things uh, and we'd, we'd promise each other that the next person could go after the, you know, the, the subsequent items if they came up. And it became a friendship that lasted for years. And, you know, that was a really nice example of somebody out of the blue before all the Facebook groups getting in touch to collaborate rather than compete. You know, that that stuff does happen, which is cool. And I know that. Um, so, you know, one of the uh, one of the little groups I sometimes hang out with are the action transfer guys. And they have a little uh, uh, a little group um, because, again, they're all after sort of letter set items outside of star wars you know completely you know the whole range but they have a little system where they step aside for the guy who runs the site to to bid it to bid on it so he can have it so he can scan it reconstruct it do all the stuff he needs to do and then he sells it on at a really good price to sort of people in the community so there aren't those arrangements that i know of in the star wars worlds there are similar things in other communities i think be very difficult to do in a star wars world what there's, there's probably a thousand Facebook groups, isn't there? True enough, yeah. Yeah, to get them all to work in harmony is uh, you don't see them working in harmony on one group, do you? Let alone all of them. But um, no, it's, but yeah, it's the cut and thrust of collecting, isn't it? I think I think Ed's idea of people stepping aside and helping each other is a very romantic idea of even, even what um, life is like. But it's it's not like that, is it? There's it's it's a cutthroat world, and uh, people aren't gonna. I'm going to really give a damn if if you sat in front of a computer screen for five hours and put together a matrix or whatever. It's it's down to you know the people who do the research to time how they release that and and, and pick the the medium they choose to kind of have get that information out there. I think about the Liana Wanawa that we've talked about in the past. You know, I'd, I'd probably be lying if I if I said that I didn't hold that back until I kind of got well into the run because it was just kind of my little thing and I enjoyed it being my little thing. And then when it got to the point where it was I had enough information and I'd done enough research. It was fun to kind of let that out there and let other people kind of get on board with it. Do you know what? Talk, talking about them, this is going to go off on a tangent here. <laughs> but um, I remember when we, we discussed that on the first episode of this and you said you were picking them up for around about 20 quid a, a copy over on that deal or no deal group. I've, I've seen a few come up there and they've been selling for about 100 $120 on yeah. there, paying over what they're really worth or, or there has been a sharp rise in them. But um, yeah, I did notice that. I thought, oh, they've risen a lot. Mm. So Ed, uh, I think I think we all uh, we all love you, but um, not necessarily not necessarily completely behind you with your thoughts on that. And sadly, that etiquette isn't there. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire. Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Now, moving on to um, topic two, and uh, you, you never know. That, that, Craig, you're the one that suggested this to me, that we take a look at packing paperwork. Um, you forwarded all of us a terrific article written by Yehuda over on the archive, which I think is two, three, four years old now as an article. Well, I t- I'll tell you what's inspired it. So I was afforded the opportunity to buy a job lot of paperwork. 
and there are over hundred separate items and that and they range from you know kind of packing catalogs to bounty hunter leaflets instructions a few sticker sheets it, it's a real treasure trove and not the sort of thing i would normally go out and, and and seek you know i've got boxed ships and things that could probably do with a catalog but I, I don't, there are far more interesting things to take my attention away from completing a box by adding a little catalog but this was a chance to sort of buy a whole load at, at a fairly decent price and just sift through that and put things together you know put some of the uh some of the catalogs in the boxes instructions where i didn't have instructions and, and, and just prompt a little bit of a tidy up in that in that respect and and obviously to do that you know i had to sort of take it to the internet and sort of find some of this information and it is very disparate you know a lot of it's kind of hidden in forums or facebook groups Bespin prime has a really good sort of hashtag bp what's in the box and uh, people photograph there the contents of, of just unused toys with all the kind of inserts the the the, uh, the instructions as sticky so it's a, you get a good picture of what was what would have come uh, there back in the day um, but also it's it's a question sifted through sales posts mark hockley's got a great instagram star wares if you haven't seen that you know where he does something similar lays it all out and it's a really good visual guide of uh, sort of if you want this stuff absolutely complete you know it's it's some good reference and it was sort of researching that 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 brought me to this um to this blog that uh, that yehuda had written which was just fantastic it's just a great great you know chronological uh, jaunt through the catalogs in particular I wanted to sort of bring it to uh, your attention and i thought it was a good thing to talk about yes yeah and it is a great article so i'd urge everyone to go and first of all um, just go and search the the mini cats guide to kenner um over on the archive because it's a fantastic article and i'm sure we'll link to it so first of all let's start with his article before we get too much into it now on the article craig he has given us a classification system under four categories can you just explain the that system that he's gone with so he's he's given these items uh, four categories uh, category one is wide market release catalogs included in many different toys. Category two, which are less common variants of category uh, one. Category three, wide market release catalogs only available with two or three different toys. Rare variants of category one catalogs, more common uh, foreign to US books. And category four, wide market release only available in one toy, uh, most foreign to US books, other rare oddities. So that's the stuff that's particularly useful for me because I've got one item, it goes in one box. But yeah, it's, it, it, it helps. It helps kind of sift through this stuff and, uh, and work out what we're, uh, what we're looking at. Precisely. Now, now, Jez, I'm going to come over to you because using that article and hopefully what you're best to do will help us explain the, the category <laughs> system a little bit easier. Now, I don't expect you to go through all of them. There are many, many, many yeah. on there. But using the yeah. article, can you just give us an overview of the catalogues? especially mm -hmm. any of particularly interest that you like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, yeah, love this article. It came out on May the 4th, 2017. And um, I, I loved it right from the beginning. I was learning and I was scrolling down thinking, right, okay, making notes, making notes. I'd been making notes for a while, then realized I'd hardly scratched the surface. I, was, I had scrolled down about 10% of this article. So full of photographs, uh, more photos than anything else, as you, as you could expect. But absolutely fantastic. Now, traditionally, as you could expect, they would start off in, in order of release of the movies. 
and he started off with the American releases in chronological order, uh, as Craig said. So he started off, in fact, there were, from a USA edition, there were eight different mini-cats for Star Wars alone, ten in Empire Strikes Back, seven in Jedi, and then three, the Power of the Force planetary maps. They then go on to, to others, to international, and uh, some which we would have seen very, very um, often, particularly in the UK, you know, the Palatoid Death Star catalogue is a particular interest to a lot of people. But the, the variety and the just the countries getting ticked off was fantastic. I mean, yes, you had the traditional Kenner Canada's, Germany, French Meccanos, the Dutch Clippers. But then they were going on, yeah, the, the Leddies, the Italians. But then there were also examples of Norwegian, uh, Playmix, Swedish ones, Spanish, Denmark, Finland, Turkey, and of course, the poppy ones, which we would, you know, forget the Empire Strikes Back release of the uh, the little poppy fold-out ones. Then there's additional ones such as the the rebates, the sweepstakes, the uh, bounty hunters capture log, palatoy painting competitions. You know, so it's not just the very traditional booklet um, that that you would imagine. It, there are so many so many different types of particular interest to me. One which I particularly liked and I would love to see was the first release of the Star Wars one, which is a small early bird catalogue and um, eight pages. But it's actually got pictures of the actors rather than the figures because the figures weren't ready for photography yet. So it just shows how quick they were trying to get this stuff produced and out there. So that one was of particular note. And what was interesting as well is the way in which these things were uh, binded. So you've got different variations which are glued, some are string-backed, and then as you move through the range and you get to the silver-covered Empire Strikes Back ones, which to me look very modern. They they certainly look advanced, like late 90s opposed to early 80s. Um, these ones come with staples. And then as you went past the Empire Strikes Back into Return of a the Jedi, they still used all three different types. So it's not like one replaced the other or, or they favoured them. So lots of different versions. Category one, as we've said, is the more readily available one. And actually, that's one of the ones which I preferred myself. Uh, yeah, it was the uh, number seven, which they had. Very dynamic, Death Star, four X-Wings, a TIE Fighter. In fact, it's actually Darth Vader's TIE Fighter being chased by an X-Wing. And uh, yeah, I re really like that one. And being a Cat 1 means I should be able to get a hold of one of those quite easily. And the other favourite of mine would be the Palatar Death Star, which I don't think I've got any chance of getting hold of. Uh, but no, great. I loved it. Brilliant article and uh, definitely worth probably a 15-minute read, 20-minute read. Steve, I'm going to come over to you because uh, Craig stated that the packing paperwork didn't used to be considered that important. Uh, do you consider a box item incomplete without the paperwork's inclusion, like the including things like the decal sheet? Uh, yeah, I do. I think the instructions, the mini catalogue, if there's supposed to be a voucher or a flyer, I think that for me that's the same as the inserts It's and the box and the small parts of the toy itself. I think it's part of that experience of drawing the toy out of the box to look at it and having all the paraphernalia with it. It's a big part of the experience of owning that as a box item. I think I would, though, slightly contradict that comment when it comes to sticker sheets. Um, I think sticker sheets are kind of, uh, if they've been used, certainly, they're, they're a kind of disposable item, a bit like uh, an opened plastic bag that would have had a small part for the toy in it. I wouldn't, wouldn't be precious about having a, a, a small, empty plastic bag 
in the same way that I wouldn't be precious about having a used decal sheet as long as those decals are applied to the toy. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't throw it away if I had it and it was in the box. And I wouldn't particularly be motivated to sell it on or trade it as an individual empty decal sheet. But yeah, it's not something I would actively hunt down to feel I had to complete a toy. So the paperwork would actually prevent you from making a purchase? I don't know that it would prevent me from making the purchase, but it would be something that I would then want to seek out in order to complete it in the same way that if uh, I bought a box Millennium Falcon and it didn't have the radar dish, I would want to go and seek out the radar dish to complete that toy. And I would I would think of the mini catalogues and the bits of paperwork instruction sheet particularly um, as part of that, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. What, what about the rest of you on that? You know, I remember going around memorabilia and, you know, there'd be boxed ships piled high and a lot of my collection comes from those days and you would you'd kind of judge it on the on the box quality of the box whether the toy was complete or not and instructions were a bonus but i don't ever remember kind of um and ahhing because it didn't have the card inserts or you know the catalog or the sticker sheet at all you know it was, it was the box and the toy and and instructions were a bonus but it wasn't a, it wasn't an edge tipper you know it didn't didn't break the deal but now i absolutely you know subscribe to what uh, what steve was saying you, know, you want the lot it's it, it's sort of I, the, the the collecting market has matured and, and now we view that as kind of the ultimate in your you know in having a, a complete toy interesting mark jez do, are you in the, in the same boat as that are you do you see the instructions and the pamphlet as important as the training board of falcon it's not complete if it doesn't have an instruction sheet or i'm not too precious about catalogs but if it comes with a catalog then and i've got one spare i mean they're relatively easy to get hold of you know there's plenty of them out there so you can you know complete a a box no problem but instructions yeah it's not complete unless it's got the paperwork with it in in my opinion or the inserts Mm, mm, yeah from my point of view if, if i bought a rebel transport which didn't have the ramp I get the ramp before the insert inserts or, or anything else. Same with speeder bike and flaps. Same with slave one and the Hanning carbonite block. To me, the complete ship is that, you know, I, I don't care so much for the box. Um, the box is great, but for, I, I'd, uh, it's, it's not the be all and end all for me. I'm more about the actual physical uh, components not saying that instruction sheet isn't a physical component, but of the actual toy or playset is what's important for me. I didn't think that they would be as important for everybody as as the ship, but um, yeah, find that quite an interesting uh, interesting topic there that the masses go with that. Now, Craig, let's get on to some specifics with the leaflets and the and the booklets and stuff. There's a couple of areas I wanted to look at, mainly palatoy sections. Now, now you point out that there are four different variations of the bounty hunter leaflet. Um, I knew there was a couple, but four is quite a lot if people are chasing them. Can you take us to through them? And also, you also state that the Palatoy posters are folded differently, which I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's only it's recently uh, recently come to light for myself. But the, and the Palatoy uh, Bounty Hunters leaflet is something that I, I must have seen scrolling through Facebook. I think it was um, uh, Stefan Pallia. He, um, I think he was selling uh, selling one of these things. And in, in his sales post and on Jabba's court, he included a link to the Imperial Gunnery where he'd he'd kind of put this uh, put this information out there in uh, in the forum. And I found that fascinating. You know, you kind of think, oh well, you know, there's there's, there's a bounty hunter leaflet. It goes in the box with the bounty hunter logos on it. But he's done his research and he's he's got four different types listed. First one was released in 1980. 
and it was revised in 1981. And the revision, there was a postage charge, uh, which was changed from £6 to £7 in the Darth Vader uh, collector's case. And the layout was altered on the back. Um, it was revised again in the same year, um, and the postage went up from £7 to £8. Um, Dengar's postage went up from 30p, uh, changed from 30p to 14p, went down. Uh, again, the layout was altered, different fonts. Uh, the available dates uh, were removed, and again, the back layout changed again. Uh, and then in 1982 was the final release, which, uh, again, on the inside, the layout was, was fiddled with, different fonts, uh, and the back the layout was changed again. So there are four different versions of the Bounty Hunter leaflet out there. As to which one goes in which box, who knows? I guess you just have to make a call on. Quick quick question for you. Just going to yeah. jump in there for a minute. For someone who doesn't know what a Bounty Hunter leaflet is. Yeah, I kind of realised that halfway through. What that. was it for? <laughs> <laughs> so the Bounty Hunter scheme was a loyalty scheme, collector stamp scheme, uh, that ran in the UK, Palatoy products, and the Palatoy Star Wars products. It was based on a very successful similar promotion that um, ran with Action Man. So on Action Man products, you could uh, clip out little stars, put them in a, a little leaflet, uh, send them off. Um, and depending on how many you managed to save up and how much postage you included in the uh, in your letter off to Palatoy, you would receive one of three or four toys in varying degrees of value. So there'd be a kind of there'd be an easy one to get with a couple of stars, and then a, a harder one with with more products. And and the way that the bounty hunter uh, promotion worked in um, in the UK was that you would uh, cut out the nameplates from your action figure card backs. So um, that's why so many are destroyed and you see so many sort of awkwardly chopped out uh, nameplates as kids would uh, clip these things, stick them to this leaflet and send them off to Palisoy. Craziness, eh? I know. <laughs> and also the second part of the what I asked you was, was <laughs> stated the Palatoy posters are folded differently. Now, you're one of the only people I think I know that would notice that. Well, it wasn't me who noticed it, um, but it was a sales post on Deal or No Deal that, that somebody had put on saying, uh, and it was, for, it was for two different Empire Strikes Back posters. So the posters that would have the big at-at image on one side and on the reverse was a montage of all the other products that were available at that time. Um, and they'd been folded differently, presumably to put into different boxes. So, it, you know, if you're me and you're trying to work out, you know, what went in what box and what out of this big pile of paperwork I've got, that's another thing to consider, which just, you know, it just tweaks my OCD to the maximum. Do you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> as if it wasn't difficult enough. The posters are folded different. <laughs> yeah, so check all your ships. <laughs> you might have the wrong folded style in your box. Yeah, yeah it's another matrix to work on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plus, you could do that while Mark's building his uh, Echo base. <laughs> now, Mark, the um, the Palatoid Death Star's already had a couple of mentions here tonight already. The Palatoid Death Star leaflet holds a pretty premium. Whenever you see them come up, they, they go for big costs compared to all the other catalogues I see sold. So, first of all, what is the current cost and why is it so expensive? Uh, yeah, it's a very, very expensive little catalogue, that is. Very tough to find in decent condition. It was originally only found in the uh, Death Star playset, although I have it on good authority from several people now, several sources, that say that they remember seeing them on counters in uh, toy shops back in the day. I don't remember ever seeing them all having one in a box or owning one as a child. but And I have no reason to doubt these people. It seems completely plausible to me. I 
also have been told by two or three people now that it was in the X-Wing box or in certain X-Wing boxes anyway, uh, not every single one, not as a rule of thumb. Uh, so th there might be some instances on that catalogue appearing in other boxes other than the Death Star, which would make sense because if you're going to the um, expense of producing a catalogue in the aim of selling more products, you want that catalogue to go in as many of your products as possible to generate more income. So, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, but... The last one that came up on eBay, which was only a week or so ago, as of July 2nd, 2020, went for just over £200. Um, so they are still going up in price. They were 75 to 100 for quite a while. There hasn't been one for sale for some time, so uh, certainly not a decent one anyway. Uh, I think there was one that sold not long before that that went for under 100, but that had got um, issues with it, some serious issues. So, uh, yeah, still a very, very expensive little catalogue. Something else that obviously springs to mind on this was I'm pretty sure there was a, a reprint run in the 90s of these. Yes. So can you give us the background of what, what happened in the 90s, and uh, is there a way of telling between the two when you're buying? It came with a very short-lived magazine called Area 51, um, and it was packed with a Power of the Force uh, reproduction catalogue as well, the one with the um, Imperial Shuttle on the cover. Really nice photograph, actually. It's a very, very good reprint. Um, the only way you can tell them apart, really, uh, unless you get one in hand, but from the photograph, is always look on the back cover. The It will have reproduction, uh, Area 51, by kind permission, uh, partially uh, printed by Jason Joyner, who is sort of Apex collector, Apex UK collector. And he was responsible for bringing those out. And, uh, yeah, they... they, they come up all the time between five and ten pounds generally there's quite a few of them around but they don't seem to have affected the value of the originals at all so boys what let, let's just talk about about the catalogs how important how much nostalgia do you get from picking up a catalog a loads loads they, they were they were the guidebook to what you were going to buy next more, more so than the card backs i think and i've got some of my original ones and they've got action figures crossed out ticked and you know, you shudder at the state of my Death Star catalogue, but it's it was my original one and it's what I used as my checklist. So, you know, I, I think they afford lots of nostalgia because you poured over them. You spent a lot of time with them, you know, looking at them, looking at the detail. So I, I would say, you know, they are, you know, when I pick up one, certainly one of the, the earlier Palato ones, you know, bags of bags of feelings. Used to get Kenner ones in, in Palato boxes. So you would get to see stuff that you were never going to get a chance to find in Scunthorpe Town Centre wasn't going to happen. So, the, so is it, they were also a portal to a magical, mystical world that you would never experience until you grew up. Did you know back then that uh, you'd own everything and it would like dominate your house, Craig? <laughs> I was like, well, I've been looking through a lot of them recently, and you sort of like, yeah, I remember looking at that force beam and thinking that's a bit of a clunky old thing, and now I've got you know only twelve of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jess, do you remember getting one with your Rebel Troop transport? <laughs> I was just going to say that. I can't remember getting one. Uh, for, for me, the nostalgia of going through and seeing what, seeing what was available, seeing what was out was more things like Argos catalogs, Littlewood catalogs and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, definitely the Argos. Now, I really can't, I really can't remember these, unfortunately. I wish I could. I, 
there is definitely the appeal. I, I do like these, uh, but yeah, no, no real hit of nostalgia. So we just said that they're like uh, the one that goes with the Death Star is like two hundred pounds. Uh, Mark, what, what do they generally go for? All the other ones, what are we looking? Are they all quite expensive, or is this kind of like a, a reasonable collecting area? Uh, no, um, I, I think the Palisade catalogs probably one that stands out as being one of the most expensive out of out of all of them. There's very few bits of paperwork that spring to mind as being expensive. The one piece of paperwork that does uh, ring about Palatoy wise is the little tiny, and it's, I mean, it is tiny. It's maybe about four inches by three inches. And it's the little instruction sheet that came with the debut Empire Strikes Back X-Wing, Palatoy X-Wing. Um, and it just shows you where to put the stickers. And this is the pre-Battle Damage sticker X-Wing, and it was unique to that particular box. And I had been looking one for, for, for many, many years, and one never came up. And when they did, they always went, what I thought was silly money for, for a tiny bit of paper. But, you know, this is Star Wars collecting. You should, should really be used to <laughs> silly prices for silly things. So, um, yeah, I think the last one went for about 200 quid. And it's it's not even colour, it's just black and white. It's, there's nothing to it. There are some funny little addendums and, and, and little bits that sort of seem like afterthoughts in in some of this stuff. I mean, we've talked about the catalogues and the instruction sheets and the and the sticker sheets, but you know, I've I, I've got in my pile, which I can only assume is either from the inflatable lightsaber or the bot bags, as a little tiny slip of paper, again, single colour, that talks about moistening the valve. <laughs> before you seal it and i know there's another piece kicking around that's that that talks about how you should take off the large size action figure release of luke skywalker uh, how you take his boots off with a little bit of talcum powder so so there's all these kind of curious little bits of paperwork that i am sure you know if two people wanted that they could bid them up quite uh quite high because how how has that stuff survived you know unless it's in a sealed box well, I think we'll all be uh, offline catalogues now. Because we've all done the research on this, then we're the only ones who can buy the catalogues. Um, so um, no one else can buy the catalogues. <laughs> Otherwise, it's unfair. I think we've been absolutely uh, <laughs> above board in, in listing our sources. Yeah, we'll let Yehuda go first. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, perhaps you could close this out. Yours was your area. Nice little conclusion. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be interesting to. I mean, that that debate around sort of the completeness of something and the scale was 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 really interesting. Um, not something we've we've talked about before. So it'd be interesting to know what where, where people sit on that scale. You know, is it complete if it has a catalogue or not? Well, I think we definitely need to put a poll out there to see about whether you think your your ship's complete. Because I was quite surprised that out of the four of you, three of you would consider your ship incomplete without it. I've never really thought about it in that regards, you know. If I've got a box ship, the inserts are always quite important to me and a complete ship. The inserts are complete, keep the, the box shape. And the ship was all it was always about for me. I always think the instructions and a catalogue are a nice a nice plus point if they're in there. But um, yeah, perhaps it's got what me about thinking. about the posters? Because the, they turned the catalogues over in towards, into become more of a poster type effect, didn't they, a bit later on. So yeah. you ended up with like the big kind of Atat diorama poster that was pretty cool with all the catalogue images on the back. People remember those? Do you, did you guys all have those posters put up on your walls as they come out of your box ships? I still got a couple of ours from when we were young, yeah. which are kind of unfolded. They've only probably been unfolded once. 
they're still quite nice and neat. So yeah, they do ring a bell more than absolutely. Than that was a real that was a real palatoy thing. Kind of continued with the tiny little you know postcard size catalogs right through. Interesting topic, and maybe an area of collecting that doesn't. You're you're right. Stefan's uh, very much into his paperwork and documenting all that, and he's done some great uh, great research. More questions, Craig. So that will give you something to do on social media. Yeah, if somebody can point me at the ultimate database of you know what goes where and <laughs> what type of folded poster goes <laughs> what type of box. I think one of the other things we've not talked about is grading. So do they do? Uh, I don't know the answer to this. Will uh, the grading companies grade a piece if this stuff is included or not? Well, there's a question. Because you do see the mailers, um, particularly when the, when they're all encased in acrylic and laid out, they always have the mailer with them. Well, obviously, and and GW Acrylics poppy cases also have two slots for the two uh, two little pull-out bits of paperwork for that on their display. That's a good question. Has anyone had a ship-graded or owned-a-graded ship here? Steve, you must have done. Mm. No, 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 I wasn't. Ne- never been into grading. I must admit, I've, I've seen some, um, I think CAS have have graded some loose ships with all the parts separate, and I'm pretty sure they've got the catalogues in. Mm. But that's a big piece of acrylic once you've got, if you're talking about grading something like a, an Imperial Shuttle, by the time you've got all the parts to the side and you've got the catalogues, that's a, that's a hefty piece of acrylic. That's more of a table than a, a piece of a shelf, that. isn't it? They, they, they graded a loose shuttle, no box, just a shuttle. Uh, with all the, and it, it was unused, so all the parts were separated and the paperwork was there as well. I've been waiting for you all be one. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, God. Right, so moving on to topic three. There's always some sort of scam going on in the Star Wars world, with it be it uh, a Darren Orm box or ripping off Mark Daniels's work or, or someone else's work, or be it someone being scammed through something not being posted or toys not arriving and all this kind of stuff. But for Britain, there's been two big British scams in the last few years. Um, they kind of rocked the collector community in this in this country, and and that was Toy Tony and Baggy Gate, and both had a massive impact on collecting. It's a few years on from from both of them, so I don't want to really go into what the scandals were, but more kind of uh, the aftermath, what how it's left those areas of collecting, you know, what, what kind of situation they're now in. So what we will do is we will just get a, a brief couple of minutes overview of each scam, just so we we refreshed our minds now jez i asked you to look at the toy tony scandal which jason mm. joiner broke on star wars forum uk back in 2013 doesn't feel possible that's seven years ago that's right yeah so it's just before a farthest from event because i remember it was the big talk of the town so um yeah it come it jason had just dropped it into conversation in a massive thread on star wars forum uk which has got 204 pages alone on that single thread so uh yeah good luck getting all the information out of that i'm glad you gave me this one and um so yeah this dropped on december the 5th and uh, december the 5th 2013 i think it was probably the busiest the forum has ever been uh someone had asked asked a, a question just about 
Toy Tony getting hold of, of figures because he was a seller who had a shop in Brighton. So no, known as Toy Tony. Jason comes on and says, yes, that's correct. Um, he bought around 25,000 figures, bubbles and cards. Jason was wanted in on the deal, but actually got um, beaten to it by Tony and who apparently bought the whole lot for around about £10,000. Now, uh, according to Jason, Tony had said that he was looking at the uh, possibility of getting these all put together. Um, so how they were originally meant to be, but yet 15 years or so, 20 years later than they were going to be. So original cards, bubbles and figures, but figures which had been circulated around. And um, and he was calling those mint on cards, mint figures on cards, but not the mint on card as we know. So people have been buying these. The grading companies have been duped. Um, everyone had, had been um, getting some pristine carded figures and then it dropped. And it was all over the forum. Loads of people coming out of woodwork saying, yeah, I'd heard about this. And, uh, and then lots of people just being completely um, overwhelmed. The bottom fell out of the market. Jason Smith had collected a lot of these Palatoy cards and um, ended up selling all of his, disclosing them all as well, very honorably. Um, but, um, yeah, Jason's got a very good website now, which gives a lot of information on, on Toy Tony. But, um, yeah, essentially what he described as uh, mint on card aren't originally sealed vintage carded figures and i'm sure everyone kind of knows actually i say everyone kind of knows what toy tony is now i'm often amazed at how many people are will be on a facebook thread and something will be stated is this a tony or this is a tony for sale and someone goes what's toy tony it's still um still not everyone yeah, is educated on it yeah it's uh whether they're new people coming into the hobby or returning yes yeah, so thank you for that jess that was the recap of that and of course mark in 2017 frank called out uh, jeff glanville on again on Star Wars Forum UK uh, about producing and selling fake baggies, which became known as Baggy Gate. Now, this one more than Toy Tony kind of divided the community, uh, certainly to begin with, with people not so sure whether this scam was legit or whatnot. Can what can you can you re, can you rehearse him? What was? I, I, I think it's because the, the, the people involved were part of the community. Jeff Glanville was a seller at Farthest From, and I'd been seller for quite some time and he was a collector and uh, seemed to you know obtain uh, all manner of items decent stuff decent prices and uh, a lot of us had bought from him a lot of us had spoken to him and and, and uh, socialized with him always came across as a really sort of genuine collector nothing untoward and, and then obviously uh, frank Hughes, who is the go-to guy with regards to anything in a bag i think there was a lot of before the, the story sort of hit on the forum when it was uh, outed on the forum there was a lot of background before it it sort of bubbled to the surface and i think there was a, a lot of conversion because jeff managed to obtain a lot of bagged figures which frank was buying from him and over a period of time frank i think frank began to smell a rat with regards to certain things coming up for sale when an item was requested or, or, or whatever and then he started to uh, examine the print quality on the bags and i think one of the purchases was a box as well double or three pack a box of cantina figures and he noticed discrepancies with fonts print quality colors 
cardboard grade. Uh, all these little tiny things started to amass. And then Frank did a lot more homework and basically blew the sto- story open on, um, on the forum and basically accused Jeff of making and selling bagged figures um, in the same way that Toy Tony was using original parts to sell mock figures, basically duping the general public. And this story rumbled on and rumbled on, and a lot of people got involved. And I remember commenting at the, at the time that, that, you know, having dealt with Jeff, uh, he didn't come across as a, the sort of guy that would knowingly, certainly knowingly, go out to uh, deceive collectors. I mean, the guy was a collector himself. He didn't appear to be uh, short of a few quid. There wasn't really a huge amount of money involved. We're not talking hundreds of thousands of pounds. And it just seemed a very strange thing to do. Now, he actually then divulged that he was buying a lot of stock from a third party. And a lot of people were questioning whether this third party did actually exist. And I think the um, location of this guy might have been in the U.S., like I say, the, the story rumbled on. I'm not even sure whether there's been any resolution to this. I don't know whether we've actually sort of got to the bottom of it. It certainly doesn't feel like there's been a definitive yes/no answer. Were they fakes? Did Jeff make them? I, I'm, I'm still unsure. I know the Vintage Rebellion. You'll know, Stu, as well as anybody. You had Jeff on once or twice, didn't you? Asking him questions, asking his side of the story, and I have to say that you know he, he came across as as somebody that wasn't exactly a criminal mastermind and wasn't out there to to deceive. And I, I still don't know what, what what the score is with it. I, I don't have a horse in the race. I, I don't collect baggy figures. I don't own any bag figures apart from my uh, Dengar part or Dengar. So yeah, bit of a bit of a, a strange one, really. Yeah, no, I, I know we just said um, we're here more to, to speak about the aftermath of it. But the last thing I can remember being said was that, that Jeff was going to send a box full of baggies, I think, over to AFA to be checked and graded or at least verified. And he'd given permission to them to anything that was was wrong to be opened. But I can't I can't remember ever seeing a follow up to that. And it definitely seems to have died down. It's, it, the story's definitely run cold. It's yeah. You know. But like I said, perhaps we could uh, return to that at some point because uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that it has gone actually quite. You you see Tony mentioned a lot more online than the baggy issue. Now that's not to say I'm not part of the baggy community. It's it's not my it's not my bag for collecting. So I'm I'm not really in those groups. But so perhaps there is a lot more discussion over there. Steve, uh, Mark just even just just said about it's kind of gone cold neither tony or jeff were ever really uh, brought to task over over what they did or allegedly did so can you explain how both of them kind of reacted to the scandals at the time i think yeah you're right in saying that they weren't really brought to task they certainly weren't brought to task legally nothing was legally done in either case as far as i'm aware but the, com- the community did bring them to task so the community did help hold them both accountable and generally stop buying from them tony made that quite easy because tony disappeared from my recollections, there wasn't a great deal, if any, denial or argument of what was going on. He just shut up shop. And then as if by magic, literally a couple of years ago, he started selling again. Um, completely legitimate products. The sales listings are on eBay. He goes by the name of Mars King on there if you want to either go and look at his sales or, of course, avoid him. And at the moment, he's got three of the last 15 Ewok Trilogos on there. He's got a couple of Leah Blasters on there. He's got a Warus Man Jedi mock with a Trilogo bubble. 
and then I understand this is more of his own personal uh, form of collecting. He's also got a tin robot on there. But yeah, Tony kind of disappeared and has never wanted to never wanted to take part in conversation. Jeff, on the other hand, didn't go dark. He uh, he came forward. He made a post on um, Star Wars forum. Uh, he did that relatively soon after the accusations, and he was quite clear. It, from his side, that he wanted to make amends and he wanted to try and uh, uh, undo some of the mistakes that had happened when he was apparently buying in order to resell items. Um, he has maintained a, a stance that he wasn't uh, manufacturing those items. And he then went on to both offer a grading company to open up hundreds of baggies uh, and grade the figures as individual figures, loose figures with weapons. Um, in order to get some money together, in order to try and make amends to those he had sold incorrect pieces to in order to uh, do refunds. It's a really long, drawn-out process, and it's a really long, drawn-out thread on Star Wars Forum UK. Nothing like the Toy Tony one uh, that Jez mentioned earlier that goes into the hundreds. This is a 23-page long debate uh, over 26 months that's gone on over there. It's messy, to say the least, because... Jeff set himself a date, uh, a timescale in which he would refund up to if people gave him what they believed to be fake items back or return them to him. But that was a crazy short date or timescale initially of only 11 days from when he posted on the forum. Um, that's quite a, quite a quick turnaround for that to become widely known that he was making that offer. And Mark's, Mark's kind of mentioned as well, it's, it's gone very quiet now. It's gone very quiet. I kind of understand that he needed to make a, a cut-off point because I know there's people on there that come back at him and say, well, if you sell fake item, you should always be refunding. But there's a there was a big debate, wasn't there? They're still saying, well, I'm under the impression these things are real. So until... Because ba baggies and cards, you could, you could see what the, the blatant iron marks and stuff on the cards, but for a baggie, there's such a minefield of of different prints I'm, I'm sure you two designers on here you know printing things things could can change surely from week to week with certain things missing or temporary something else used i don't i don't know about the printing but surely there's there's ways that things could get changed quite regularly it, it, i mean it'll be screen printing back then it'll be screen printing you'll be screen printing one or two possibly three colors maximum on on items that really the back the bag is it's, it's not the same as, say, printing thousands upon thousands of cards where, you you know, all they're all the same. They would probably print out X amount of bags and then just shove whatever figures in particular runs. Frank is obviously the better, the better man to come on and, and explain to us about it. But when we're talking about print runs and production, it wasn't an exact science. I bet anybody involved in the production of Star Wars bagged figures would never believe that we would be sitting here now, four years later, talking about the, um, you know, the finer details of print quality on bagged figures. You know, it's um, <laughs> it, it's it's crazy to say the least. But when you're paying hundreds of pounds for a certain figure in a bag or a box or whatever, then all of a sudden it starts be to become important. With regards to print, you know, there's so many different variations. And looking at some of the pictures of the evidence, I mean, you, I mean we're getting into some really, really fine detail. Jeff 
or whoever Jeff was buying from was going to some considerable effort to produce these things. Um, and he wasn't just producing one type of bag. He was producing several by the looks of it because there were several different things that he was knocking out. It's just it's such a, a strange thing to want to sort of dupe, really. Um, I'm not saying that they're, they're not fakes. I'm, you know, I, I, I dare say that Frank probably has got more reason than any to, to say that they are. Now, like we said, we wanted to look at the, the aftermath, what, what effect this had on the market. Now, I'm going to come back to you again, Mark. The Tony scandal affected the Palatoy market, but has it really affected the Palatoy market? Like you've already alluded to, Jason Smith did uh, a lot of work identifying the fakes. He's become the go-to guy for confirmation. I see if someone's questioning a card, he's tagged straight away. So first of all, has it affected the Palatoy market, the Palatoy prices? Have people still got confidence in the product they're buying? And do you believe that everything that has been to learn about this scandal is done? Um, it, it hasn't affected the market on one iota, I don't think. I think when it initially uh, hit, everybody was running around panicking. Have I got a Toy Tony? Have I got a Toy Tony? Uh, it's suddenly not worth uh, what I paid for it. But I think that's kind of uh, evened out now. I think people are a bit more confident on buying certain figures that Tony had, knowing full well that, uh, a lot of the telltale signs have been identified thanks to thanks to Jason and, and, and a few others. Poor old Jason, he gets tagged in every single Toy Tony post there is on Facebook. <laughs> he must get so sick of it after a while. But, you know, he is the main guy when it comes to this, you know, and he, he was definitely the best man for the job on that because um, he really went to town on trying to identify all the different sort of telltale signs. He really did his own work. And there was, like I say, there was a few other guys involved as well. In many respects, some people actually don't mind uh, a Toy Tony if, it's, if it means filling a gap or completing a run or just out of curiosity, just to say that they've got a Toy Tony card. In, in some ways, they become sort of collectible in themselves. And the strange thing about this, that whole story, if Tony had not bothered with uh, going to the efforts of trying to match up figures and bubbles and uh, going to the, the hassle of, you know, sticking them onto cards. He'd have made so much more money just keeping the cards separate and having them as proof cards, selling them as proof cards. He'd have, he'd have made a fortune, an absolute fortune, especially now. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just ironic, really. <laughs> Like, I've, I've had a couple of collectors when I was doing interviews for The Vintage Rebellion around that time saying that in the old, like, chess and shows and all that kind of stuff, there was always rumours that Tony had, had created these cards. They were always circulating and being spoken about. You've got no recollection of that? I, I personally don't. Um, I don't ever remember speaking to anybody back in uh, Chesson, Stevenage or Westminster or any of those uh, memorabilia fairs. I'm sure it was probably spoke to, but I never really took any notice because back then, carded figures were so cheap anyway. Anybody going to the trouble of trying to uh, bloody knock one up and, you know, make a, a five quid out of it was just a moron. Uh, <laughs> you know, clearly not the, 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 the most financial wizard, the biggest financial wizard in the room, that's for sure. You know, you were still picking up uh, palatoy carded figures for under under 50 quid for, for, for certain very strange uh, story. 
Now, Jez, it, it is a big shame Sire's not here to, to answer this because I know that he is uh, he still buys Tony cards. Um, I think he will tell you that it's it's a good way of getting legitimate parts um, on some very mm. great cards and very good conditions. Now, so they are still very desirable. I think we've only just seen this week a, a Tony Fett sale for three, 350 quid in an auction. Mm. So, first of all, what kind of money are these going for? How do you feel when you see people like Michael Havens, who is very against a Toy Tony card, he will get them mm-hmm. in hand and he will just slice the bubble off? Right, okay. Addressing your first point then. So, price-wise, yeah, as you said, Simon's all over this. So, I've actually spoken with Sai earlier on, who, as you know, couldn't come on. However, we just did have a little discussion about this. He said, low end, you're talking sort of the 3PO Around about seventy to eighty pounds. Fet is typically high, as you could imagine, and um, have sold for about twelve hundred. But as you say, then the the Stacy's auction it was was three hundred this week. So yeah, complete bargain. So yeah, seventy to eighty pounds. Uh, desirability point of view, I would be interested in one. I quite like curating collection, my you know collection and talking about it. I don't think people would be necessarily interested in it apart from people who are actual collectors. So from a curation point of view, it doesn't really do much for me, but I, yeah, I'd, I'd get one. Whereas if you had asked me about four years ago, I probably would have said absolutely not. So in, in value increase, have they shot up? They have recovered in price, but they haven't increased in value at the same rate that normal carded figures have gone. I mean, Simon's got quite a few, but he's not paid more than 75 for any of his. And that, that's pretty much it from a prices point of view. Now, with regards to people ripping them off, I mean, yeah, obviously done that for effect because we're still talking about it or you're talking about it now. And actually wasn't aware of that in the first place. Do I really care about him ripping them off? No, even though it's very, very similar to um, to original carded figures, which I would do um, for, for, for me. No, if someone wants to take a figure off of a, a toy Tony, I think it's a shame. I think it's it's not necessarily a a sensible thing, or I, I don't see the personal gain. I don't I don't see the point because you're not, I, you know, these people who wanted the uncirculated, the U grade, because for whatever reason they want a figure which is not being touched, apart from the people in the factory who who wanted an untouched figure. But what they're doing is just taken off a second-hand figure and so where's the benefit what why would he do this I mean, you ask me how i feel about it but my question which i'm putting back is why is he doing it i, I don't get it well the with the ic uh the stance over at the ic is that uh toy tonies are reproductions now the ic has a lot of members over there who kind of listen to their admins over there and they take what they say is gospel and they class them as reproduction items although all the parts are vintage so you've got a, a, a group over there of, I don't know how many people are in it now, 10, 11,000, who, who will all deem these are reproduction items and will destroy them. You, th- you think each to their own when it comes to that kind of thing? They're not reproductions because they are original bits. They're original figures, original bubbles, original cards. They're just not the original glue. To, for people to get hess up about destroying these things, I think there are more important things in the world to get worried about right now. Unfortunately, I don't really have much of an opinion on it because... I just, I just think that's all a bit silly, really. Fair enough. You, you, you said that you would possibly buy one to put in your collection to curate. I think that's quite a, quite a, a quite a good point, especially one with just got really blatant iron marks and stuff on it. Perhaps a, a bad example. Would, would you go down the same route with the baggies? Would you have a fake baggie for the same, or do you think it's not the same um, distinguished like proof on there? 
people start talking about baggies to me and I want to go and put the kettle on, they just bore me, right? I, I've got a loose figure, which is great because that's nostalgia and I can see it, I can pick it up. And in the case of the TIE fighter pilot, I can smell it, right? Or you've got the mint on carded figures, which aesthetically are very, very pleasing to me. I'm, I'm stifling a yawn when you talk to me about baggies. I, I don't get it. So would I actually want a fake, boring piece of Star Wars memorabilia? No, of course I wouldn't. I, I'm not interested in baggies. God, I'm really moody tonight, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, that's a life of being teabagged in the Navy. Yes, I totally agree with you, mate. I, I, I just, I, I just, I can't see the the draw to them. When, I mean, obviously there are people out there that collect them and fair play, but I just, there's something about them that just, just don't interest me at all. I agree, actually. I bought a Greedo one, and the thing that annoys me with it is I cannot make it look nice on display, and that that really bugs me really bugs me but from two people who aren't keen on baggies to the most passionate of baggy people in our, in our crew now baggies have always been a bit of a minefield area but has see, now, now since i've come into back into collecting the mailer business and the baggy business the prices are huge you know i i often look out for the greedo and the blue snag two-pack and you're looking over a couple of grand easy now for that two-pack which um, seems nuts to me so has the scandal damaged the baggy area of the hobby craig um and how do you go really about authenticating a baggy because is there too much personal interest in the people that are authenticating them before i get into that i, I have to you know full disclosure i'm kind of with the majority of the the team on this one they're not really my thing either i i kind of get it in the context of a boxed toy or the early bird kit or you know the jower that goes in the in the land of the Jowers, I kind of understand that side of it, but having them to put on display, you know, I'd rather not have my figures in a crinkly plastic bag, but that's just me, you know, fair play to those people who do love this. And I think my, my take on it, you know, has it, has it damaged the area of the hobby? I think the prices are still, you know, high. I think they still collect, you know, a fair whack for, for what they are. And I think, you know, my take is that the people who are in it know it. You know, I, th- I think that if it's a niche thing, it's way more niche than collecting figures that are mint on card. You know, I, I think with that comes a, a certain degree of detail and knowledge if you're if you're going to be into that side of collecting. I mean, I, I have done some research on the back of this topic. There are 25 Kenner baggy types. I mean, 25. I mean, that's that that's remarkable. Um, and there is a fantastic uh, write-up on this on this topic on the uh, Star Wars Collectors Archive by Todd DiMartino and Bill Wills. And it doesn't make reference to Baggy Gate or anything like that, but it's a phenomenal breakdown of, of the baggies that are available. Um, but what's really interesting, what I found particularly noteworthy, is that there are, at the end of this, this article, there, there are nine different tells, things to look for that... Uh, will help you uh, identify a baggie as the real deal or not. And when you compare that to Toy Tony, which is you know basically the iron marks and what type of figure it is and what card, nine nine different sort of checks on something I would say is it's quite thorough, you know. And it and it and it ranges from do we know that figure came in that bag, which is a kind of obvious. Uh, criteria to, to to judge something against, but also sizes. You know, people people trim these off and reseal them, so you can you can tell if that happens. You know, by by looking at the uh, the size compared to a a known legit thing. So there are a number of ways to identify these things if that's what you're into. 
Um, you know, we we all want our hobby to be an exact science, and it's not. You know, I'd, I I think you know whether you put in a, a catalog in a, in a in a box or you're trying to you know authenticate one baggie against another. You know, we know the commercial realities of of how these things are put together, and it's like, oh, Doris, we've run out of those bags. I think we've got some others in the storeroom. Hang on, yeah, we'll put them in these. You know, and I, I, that's that's the real world, uh, and we're we're all analysing this stuff a great distance now and trying to put some science around it and you know it, it is still very variable i think uh, just out of interest steve and um, do you like baggies oh you can make it a full house <laughs> not really um <laughs> I, I i did have a few in my in my in my the width of my collection for a period i had a few of the han solo ones it felt like i should have them i didn't really have much passion or love for them the one thing i did like um and mark noted about having having one himself it's it was the mailaways i did i did even though it's a very cheap and accessible item i like the um i like getting the the emperor in his little mailaway i thought that was a really cool thing i think there's a bit more um like i say jez likes to curate his collection i think the mailers have that backstory and uh, a bit more interest to go with it than than a figure in a bag and i get i get it when they came in along with ships or the Jabba's dungeon coming with three figures and all that kind of stuff. Totally get that. Yeah. Not, not a lot of love here for baggies. Yeah. Each to their own. So, you know what we said about toy Tony didn't really say anything. He went completely silent. Whereas Jeff was there sort of trying to do his thing. When I was going through the forum, Jason, uh, Jason Smith, who was, as I said, one of the guys who was really, really affected by the toy Tony scandal wrote to Tony, sent him an email and he posted on the forum saying, this is what I've just got from Tony. And uh, and I, it was funny going through the threads because I was able to see one of my original posts. I saw Grant's posts and, and people just talking about that. And there was actually one post which I put on, which was just the day later, where, you know, you can see on these forums who's online and who's who's reading certain things. Toy Tony was actually online reading star wars forum uk and looking at that thread because the the um, forum username i could see at the bottom so i actually put a comment on saying toy tony is online and reading this come on dude folk are rooting for you because in our first 24 hours people weren't sure what was true there was a lot of stuff about jason joiner's reputation and about him you know wherever jason was there was scandal himself and it was jason who had dropped this whole toy tony thing so there was all sorts of people sort of sniffing things and sort of saying hang on a second well this is all wrong not knowing what to believe um but jason smith put on i've received this email reply from toy toy tony and i, I quote hi yes it's come as news to me also i'll check out the post later as you may know, I've been selling carded figures for the last 25 years. Many have been graded by AFA and UKG, so it's somewhat bizarre that he should come up with this nonsense in 2013. Thanks, Tony. So that was the one and only sort of email acknowledgement that Tony has made um, on this whole thing before going silent. So I'm just saying, yeah, just saying that, you know, he's been doing it for 25 years, so this is nonsense. So uh, there we go. It was inter- interesting read, though, just to see what we were all writing seven years ago on this. 3PO, you tell that slimy piece of worm-ridden filth to get no such pleasure from us, right? So, moving on to topic four, something else which has, has pricked uh, certain areas of the collecting community now. Now, Kim Simmons, who most people will know, did the, the photography of the toys 
back in the day and uh, he now runs the man who shot luke skywalker website uh, it's on facebook where you can buy prints of the original artwork uh, he released a book last year with some of the original artwork and he's been doing a kickstarter campaign for a second volume of his book now however he had a substantial contribution of three thousand dollars from uh, the fansstrikeback.com which is uh, connected to um, oh, one of you might know this a bit better lord lord sith creations is it is it lord sith mark you sith were lord. Sith, sith lord that's the one yeah oh, i was close just got him in the wrong order which obviously pushed their their total on kickstarter to near their target however uh, this caused uproar i saw it on several facebook groups about people not being happy uh, and on the forum because they were back in the campaign and they are are just known for reproduction weapons and figures. Craig, let's, let's come to you because I asked you to take a look at uh, the Fan Strike Back uh, website and tell us what items are a blatant reproduction because because basically Kim had come on and I said to the community, oh, I let them back us. I thought they were just people that made customs, but that isn't the case, is it? No, and I think even the name of the website is quite provocative. The fan strike back. It's, I think, seen through this lens. It's sort of, it all, all of this just, just, just whiffs a bit. So you go on their website and and they sell what they call custom figures, but when you look at them, they are reproductions of of vintage carded figures, and you've got items on there like blue snaggletooth, yak face. Luke Stormtrooper, they do a red bar, R5D4. So they know what collectors are valuing. They know that these are the big ticket items. They know these are the bits that, that you know, fetch the money that people want, which indicates to me that, that you know, they are, they're faking. They're faking this stuff. And one of the most shocking things I saw uh, was their, their 100 Star Wars action figure replacement weapons bulk box, which they sell for over $99. And it's just, you know, the language they use, that they, they, they talk about passing the float test. They talk about Luke uh, Stormtrooper coming with a solid black blaster. You know, it's all these things that, that people obsess about when they are passionate about, you know, having the genuine article. So, you know, that to me says they know what they're doing. They know these are fakes, but they're, they're badging it in this in this word custom. And it's just, you know, people aren't buying it. No, surely if they were just customising it, why are they working on things that are going to pass the float test? Yeah, that, that just seems like a massive uh, issue to start with. I, I know they obviously clearly panicked when this started getting called out because this was called out on all over the place. And I read on the IC there was a thread going over there that there was backers over there because the IC are, are so against reproduction. There was other backers on their thread saying, well, I'm going to pull my my funding. So consequently, it, it was big news. Now, Steve, I'm going to come over to you because uh, Kim and Justin, who are are doing the book, then announced that they are going to take the decision to remove the donation. So can you take us through what, what kind of announcement they made? Yeah, they were they came on and they were quite clear um, and quite open that uh, they could understand that uh, this this wasn't uh, a donation or a contribution from um, a group or people working in a, in a way that, that uh, suited, suited the hobby and the community of the hobby. So they actually went on to say, and I'll quote, uh, on behalf of myself and Kim, this is written by Justin, we have decided to not accept the $3,000 contribution from the fan strike back due to the issue of reproduction items being associated with their website. While we cannot choose who contributes to the Kickstarter campaign, 
This is a very serious issue with the Kenner Star Wars fans, and we felt it was the right thing to do and have asked them to withdraw their contribution. This sets us back from meeting the halfway mark. So any of you who have been on the fence because of this, we ask you that you please now contribute and help to get us to our goal. Seems very fair. It does. It does. Now, we wrote these show notes at the beginning of the week. Now, things have developed a little since since, since here. So first of all, Craig, I'm just going to come back to you because this, what Steve has just, just read there, I think was like a Saturday-Sunday kind of announcement. But yesterday... Wednesday the 1st of July, there was a bit more breaking news on it because the fans strike back made their own public statement, didn't they? The fans strike back struck back. They've oh. turned it on its head, haven't they? They've turned it on its head and said, actually, the money has been accepted. It needs to legally be accepted. And uh, yeah, it's, it's done a complete 180 and no one saw that coming. Depending on what browser you're using, there's a, there's a three-page missive around why they feel they are in the right to... Uh, to, to um, donate this money uh, and it, it, it's a rallying call to uh, uh, well against the repro zealots and i'm quoting there yes the anti-repro orthodoxy so you know it's quite uh, vehemently uh, um, opposed to the community view that um you know we should police uh, our vintage plastic uh, and they're very much of the view that hey this is all fun it's toys uh, we've as much right to uh, be part of this as anyone else yeah, it was it was three pages, wasn't it, of interesting things and and they do they do state that that one of the authors is actually quite happy with their their funding, if I remember lightly. Well, I guess I guess you know Kim Simmons himself is he, you know he's not a member of the collecting community per se. I'm sure he's not as involved or as passionate about the the issues that this that this highlights. You know, you can forgive him for that to some degree, but it's just a news, obviously, the Kickstarter manager who's kind of taking a lead in this and, and uh, you know, trying to do what's right by the community. To Mark, from, um, Greg's just said it, uh, Kim isn't actually a, a particular collector or heavily involved in the community apart from more as a business and, and selling his items that are linked to the community. Should he really be concerned where the money is coming from? If you were in his shoes, would you take his the same decision? Would you accept the money, not accept the money? I, I wouldn't. Because I'm anti-repro, but Kim might he might not give a damn where, where, where you know whether something's reprodu- reproduction or not. I don't know what his stance is. You know, it's a completely personal decision. It wouldn't sit comfortably with me. I would want to know where money was coming from. If it was coming from an organisation that I didn't agree or agree with or felt like I wanted their support, then I would reject it definitely. I think there's a business aspect to that as well, though, isn't there? Because this is this is his audience. These are the people that are going to buy his book. Some people are going to feel strongly about it enough not to want to buy his book, and there's going to be others that are just not going to be bothered. Straight after the announcement of the message from Fan Strike Back uh, yesterday, straight away three or four people on Star Wars Forum had posted that they would have bought the book and were now withdrawing it. Um, I th- I might, it's my understanding that because of the level of the donation on the Kickstarter, the fan strike back details will be printed in the book and will be classed as customizers rather than what they're doing. So I, I do think there is a, a advertising for them as part of the rewards for donating so much money. Um, and Craig's totally right. You know, you've only got to look at the group, the groups I'm on, you know, I don't think reproduction is um, allowed in any of them is accepted in any of them. So if he accepts this kind of money when the community is saying no, he's really kind of 
blocking the market where people were going to buy his book. And he might well, that might well come back to bite him on the bum. So, Jez, I know, I know we're, we're not going to get into a massive repro debate tonight, but some people will listen to us and will be thinking, well, what's really the issue? So can you explain why this has such a detrimental effect on the hobby and why people are deciding not to support the book? If there are three grand just kicking around and they can't figure out what to do with it, you can send it to my Stormtrooper Run um, charity page because, quite frankly, I couldn't care where that money came from as long as the money ends up going into the charity pot. Uh, and, that, and that might sound terrible of me, but that, if that money has been accrued, then uh, send it to uh, Make-A-Wish and Spread a Smile. Um, that would be very, very appreciated. And um, and you people who like the repro stuff, that could, um, yeah, you, you could do well out of that. Anyway, um, what is reproduction? Why is it so bad? Well, it's, it's fake, isn't it? It's not genuine. It's artificial representations of vintage items. I mean, that's just like, it's like slapping Rolex on a on a cheap watch or putting a you know cut and shut car thing together. It's it's not real. There's then the issue that you could be hoodwinking people. But you know you, you you've seen it before where people have been having uh, reproduction yak faces or blue snaggletooths and then putting them in a collection of figures which are sold in a in a big ice cream tub of figures by someone who's sort of pretending that they don't really know what they're doing and people are like oh look at this oh i can get this amazing deal and it's just um it's false is it's it's forgery it's fake it's not right and that's why there's so much against it people are being done out of their money um you know they're buying figures which have got weapons where they some of these weapons themselves and the accessories cost more than a figure and um and it's just it's just not on. People don't know whether or not they're coming or going now with half of this stuff. And it, it takes away the pleasure of collecting by having this extra minefield of repro. There's yeah. no nostalgia. There's no history. There's no collecting journey. It's just fake. Now, I just want you all to answer this. First of all, uh, is this a book you would have been tempted to buy? But if you know that someone, you know, has been funded by something that harms the hobby, would that make you not purchase the book does it have that much sway or would you still go and support the book okay that that's open to everyone i'd like i'd like to hear everyone's uh, answer on that uh would i be interested in buying the book no i didn't buy the first one yeah i i think that you know i manage my budgets to my means and buying lots of new collecting books and things that kind of celebrate the hobby rather than buying stuff that adds to the collection i would always sort of uh, veer towards the latter but if it was something you were interested in, Craig, would the funding affect your decision on, on then not deciding to buy it? It's, good, it's a good question. You know, on something like this, I would probably, you know, make my stand with the community and uh, and not go for it. Yeah, interesting. Steve, what about, what about you? It's a really tough one, isn't it? It's not a book that's of interest to me, and I think I've, I've jumped on the bandwagon of most of the collecting books that have come out over the last probably decade or so, and... For some reason, this one didn't bite with me at all. Uh, you're looking at, what, about 4.5% of the total funding to get the book published coming for this £3,000. Not, it's not huge, but it's not insignificant. We're not talking like less than a percent. We're talking, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still a chunk of cash there. I don't think I'd, I'm, now I know the whole story. I don't think I'd be overly comfortable buying this book if that goes forward and that repro manufacturers have part funded it no i don't think it's for me jess no mate there there are so many collecting books out there you know there there really are you know i've got i've got several but there this is 
this is way down the list for me. And because of, you know, everything which we've discussed very much like Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's just a little bit tainted. And Mark? Uh, no, no. It, it's not a book that I would buy. And it knowingly, if it's supported by uh, an organisation that is knocking repros out, then no, because I'm anti-repro. However, if it was a book that I did want to look at and was, was interested in, was supported by a repro organisation, then what I would do is look at a mate's. Well, you've got to find one of them first, mate. It might be easy to buy the book. I, I did buy the first book. I think it arrived in the UK in about November time. Richard did a, a big bulk lot, and um, I still haven't got it yet. So it's sitting in Richard's house. I told Rich to hold on to it till he saw me. Little did I know of COVID. I'm going to be honest, it's not a book I thought, oh, I must get. But for some reason, someone put, Richard was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a big bulk buy. And I'm just, just so weak when I see something like that. I just like to add to the thread and say, yes, I want to be involved. It wasn't a cheap book. <laughs> I could just imagine you there at your little keyboard going, oh, I want to get involved. And then uh, just <laughs> log on. Bless you. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, yeah, count me in. But yeah, the, their response and if they're being backed by that, wouldn't be interested. And um, it would put me off and it would be a good excuse not to spend money, which are necessary. I've got several collecting books, which I've bought and probably had one good toilet read of. Um, <laughs> I've got an amazing I, I idea. Secondly, I reckon you've had several several <laughs> opportunities to spend half an hour in the toilet with a book. I love, I love a good book on the toilet. Case catalog. Again, boys, we're all in agreement. You know, no repro. And if they have gone down that uh, down that route, then I think that could be a big mistake for them in the collecting market. Again, actually, uh, Stefan's popped up a few times tonight, but he's been someone that's certainly been uh, researching and sharing the information about where that funding is coming from. Obviously, he is a member of the admin team over on the Jabbers Court groups, and uh, they are very, very anti-repro and even run their reproduction clinics at UK-based events. It's always been a danger, but it looms like a shadow over everything we've built here. But things have developed that'll ensure security. I've just made a deal that'll keep the Empire out of here forever. I had no choice. They arrived right before you did. I'm sorry. To close out on the topics tonight, I want to say just a little light-hearted because we did, we talked about old scams and we talked about a reproduction funding stuff there and just, just a nice light-hearted finish for Vintage toys within Star Wars that were a little bit confusing. Now, I did put in the show notes about the Imperial attack base, obvious one that would spring to mind. An Imperial base on Hoth doesn't match up to the movies. A base that attacks is a weird concept. It would have made much more sense as a rebel base. So I come up with a couple of others in my head. So I wanted you to have a think about maybe the box art on stuff or... Or maybe what is something called, or the concept of of something. So let, let's go round. Um, Steve, you, you've you're the guest here, so I'll let you go first because if anyone else has chosen the same thing as you, come up with something better. I think the most confusing thing for me <laughs> was the Luke X-wing pilot's black hair, which apparently, much much later in life, I found out was a visor. That that confused me forever. I thought it was a very strange. Very strange thing that, uh, yeah, it had to be explained to me probably only 10 years ago that it wasn't actually black hair. So there you go. That was confusing. I thought it was his hair as well, up to about the age of about 37. Did, did everyone think that was his hair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no yeah, you, you, you lads clearly haven't got as many uh, brain cells as I have because I always look as a visor. Yeah. Craig? 
I've got a few. The first one, I did sort of imagine, you know, an eight-year-old Craig getting his hand solo from Asda and ripping it off the, the card. And what really confused me about it was the holes in the bottom of his feet because I had no context of that they would fit on things. So to eight-year-old Craig, they were only one thing, and that was rocket boots. So that, you know, honestly, you know, that was a figure on its own. It's got, what, what are these holes in it? And our dad didn't have any other action figures that had holes in their feet. Uh, it was only sort of, you know, a short while after that I realised that, oh, you got stands and they could sit on play sets, and that's what they were for. But I used to fly them around the playground because his little rocket boots would take him anywhere. And I was always confused why Boba Fett's rocket didn't come out. It looked like it should come out. And I remember trying to yank that thing out of his back. Because Do you I remember it being advertised as going to be coming out? No, no. I remember getting a. I remember getting the figure. Why, going, didn't. why doesn't that come out? It looked looked like it should. And I was determined that it would come out and it didn't. Um, so that was another one. Should I keep going? Yeah, go? yeah. So another thing that confused me was the upside down hanging feature on the Star Destroyer playset, which on some of the promotional material showed Luke and I think it was Leah sort of hanging upside down, which obviously didn't feature in the movies. Although Luke was upside down twice in Empire when he was captured by the Wampa and when he was uh, doing handstands for Yoda. So I don't know, there's fascination with having Luke upside down. That confused me. Battle damage stickers on the X-Wing, I didn't really understand because his X-Wing didn't get shot up, but his snow speeder did. One other thing, right, I'm just I'm going to put it in the group and I'm going to show you this because it's confused me for a good while. So this is this is the uh, promotional poster for the Empire Strikes Back toys uh, for Palatoy. And there was an image of uh, INT-4 and it's, it's clearly a prototype. And there's a stormtrooper sat in there. You can just see the top of his helmet. But the the mechanism, the arm that controls the wing, is is white. It's not it's not black. But when you look at this image, it looks like the story. Like he's holding it. <laughs> he's got to pull his own wings <laughs> in. Yeah. And I remember seeing that, thinking, "What the hell's going on with that?" So there you go. <laughs> I never would have picked up on that. <laughs> the things you notice, Mark. Yeah, a couple of things for me. Uh, Paltoy talking R two D two. What was all that about? What what's, what's he doing? This this message is is vital to the rebels my name is r2d2 <laughs> it didn't make any sense i mean if it just got like loads of beeping and stuff great or i think one of them was Leia's message wasn't it but yeah it's it, 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 not very good i had that as a kid as well and even as a kid when i pressed the button i said well, why my name is r2d2 what's he talking about <laughs> and then um the second one, which goes back to actually what Craig mentioned about Star Destroyer playset, which was, again, something else I had as a kid. And it always confused me was, you know, it's the front section of the Star Destroyer. And it was just a really sort of cobbled together playset. It was, you know, it, it, it wasn't very good. I remember buying it because my mum saw it on discount in, the, in a shop and it was heavily discounted. I remember getting it out and looking at the box thinking, oh, that looks really cool, and getting out and laying it out and making it all up. And There's like two little door sections, and it looked as though Palatoy or Kenner had maybe had the foresight to maybe bring in another section. So you, you got the front section as one play set, and then you bought the back section as another play set, and then maybe the bridge would be another play set, and you sort of connected it all together to make this super Star Destroyer playset. A bit like the um, uh, the flag, uh, the USS flag in um, G.I. Joe range. I mean, that thing was massive. 
it's just it's just a really naff playset. It's just crap. What I think would have worked better would would have been another cardboard playset, much like the um, Death Star playset. If they'd have done a cardboard Death Star playset, uh, Star Destroyer playset, I think that would have been fantastic. Uh, with like a little um, docking bay and a bridge, sort of elevated gunner section at the, at the front, maybe a prison, trooper quarters, uh, armory, uh, engine room, and you know, I, I think they would look fantastic. Yeah, totally agree. It, yeah, it is a bit of a cobbled together place, isn't it? Trying to fit too many different scenes into a small area. Yeah, um, rubbish. Jez, what what about you? The biggest thing, right? The lightsabers. Lightsabers coming out of your arm right forget the fact that luke original luke has got a yellow one all right we don't have time for that i I actually as as a kid cut broke off the tips of my vader and my luke because it's either the lightsaber is on or it's not i don't need a little thing sticking half out it's either on or it's not so then by breaking the tip off which i've seen so many other kids doing they weren't broken off accidentally. Loads of people actually removed these because they wanted the lightsaber concealed up the arm. So I just that was a, a very, very peculiar thing, having uh, having the lightsaber stowed the way it was. Um, so that's one thing. Prune face? I mean, you, you, you talk about finding out about Luke Skywalker's visor as opposed to hair, but it was only in the last, say, five, six years that I realised prune face was actually a goodie. And when I, you know, paused the DVD, it was like, oh, yeah, there he is at the back of the uh, briefing room and briefly seen in the Imperial shuttle. You always so, expecting um, to be yeah. a Jabba's goon, don't you? You totally do, 100%. Yeah. You know, there's uh, there's other little things. Like, so when you think of the MLC3, well, I just think of Diamonds Are Forever and Sean Connery in that little thing in, the, in America, in the like, little moon buggy dune thing, uh, because... That was in that MLC three was closer to James Bond's Diamonds Are Forever than it was a Star Wars movie, and or Forest Ranger tripping on something or other there. That was pretty cool, uh, but then again, uh, yeah, I was looking at Darth Vader Star Destroyer, which in itself is just an odd ship. But the Jabba the Hutt dungeon. Oh, I'm glad you brought this up. I mean, you know, you you look at things like the Jabba the Hutt dungeon and the Droid Factory. It's like, come on. Give me some actually screen accurate stuff. Star Wars is such a beautiful world of so many different environs where, you know, we've got all these different things, all these different scenes. And you give me something which doesn't even remarkably look close to what we saw on the movie. Come on, must try harder, Kenna. I kind of, do you know what? The droid factory is a bit of fun and does kind of connect to the sand crawler and the Jawas with droid part. But the Jabba's dungeon, I haven't had a picture of it the other day. It, I've never owned one. It does nothing. It is really just just the uh, droid factory tray, isn't it? Really with a crane. Someone please defend it, because I do not understand it as a toy. There is no defence for the indefensible. It's really it's, odd. It, 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 it was, we've got all this stuff left over, how can we bag it up and knock it out, and what can we sell it as? And it was it's just a cheap and nasty product. There's no thought, there's no imagination. It was just bagged figures... And tooling from an old playset in different colours and new box art, and that was it. There's, there's, there's no, there's no other sort of rhyme or reason to it. It was just end of the line. Let's get, let's get it out there. I mean, can you imagine if I opened that up and got it out? I would be like, take a side that had three figures in it, which just as well it did. I would have just thought, well, I don't, I don't really know what I've bought here. Just a lump of plastic. 
the, the attack's quite confusing, isn't it? I know we, uh, on the first podcast... What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, hear me out. Okay, so I know on the first podcast we, we looked at um, stuff that wasn't, wasn't made and there was the um, the loading transport, but how are they getting in there? See, they drop that on Hoff. The people are already in it, but, but what do they do? Does he bend his legs down like a dog? How are they getting in that thing, in and out? When they suddenly land on the, on the Imperial base, right, yeah. the Rebel base even, what are they doing? Quickly getting out a ladder and all like running down... They're steps. already in it. They're already in it, aren't they? Yeah, but how are they getting out to then attack? If they're getting out in the back, the troopers. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, they're, it's, they're not, gonna... it's not exactly a smooth transition, is it? Yeah, they they will uh, fast rope down like you would do from a, a rotary wing aircraft. Um, so yeah, you just fast rope is easy. It's easy. Yes, it's easy in the snow. No guns at the back as well. Just go around the back of it and shoot it. It's going to take an hour to turn around, isn't it? Yeah, but have you ever seen? You, you don't go behind a, a donkey, do you, or a horse? Why? Because they kick you, right? Correct. That's, that's, that's what the attack will do. The attack will back kick you. It will drop kick you, and then it will do roundhouse. <laughs> they got a few things wrong on that, I think. They look amazing, but uh, they're not really practical, are they? You wash your whole mouth out. That was amazing, and it's totally accurate. If they turned up with you tomorrow, Jessica, you're going you're gonna to finish off your tour here by walking around this massive metal dog yeah. <laughs> across the desert. I it's say, just gonna say me up. Sign me up, baby. <laughs> you bloody love that. <laughs> amazing. Shot down straight away. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So it would be great to hear what other things that are confusing. I'm sure there's plenty. Activate meditation chamber. From Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection, new Darth Vader Star Destroyer that you put together. Batteries not included. Darth Vader's stronger now. He's got moves. New Luke Skywalker. Action figures each sold separately. You can slide the viewing screen, turn Darth on the command bridge, and make Luke escape through the hidden hatch. Test the laser cannon. We gotta find Luke. Darth Vader's Star Destroyer from Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. New from Kenner. Just before we close out for the night, like last month, we uh, we came up with a little game just just to finish off the uh, the show. I thought, oh, just do it again, two three minutes. We don't want anything too long or too too time consuming. So in in two teams again, I sent out um, twenty people a message uh, the early part of this week and asked them for their top ten Return of the Jedi figures. So first of all, thank you to the people that responded and helped me out on this. Now I'm going to split you into two teams. Now, Mark and Steve, you two can go together because you grew up in the same area. And apologies, Craig, that only leaves Jez. That's all right. Dream team. But it's OK, because later in the year we will be playing Trivial Pursuit and Jez is going to wipe the floor with all of it. So we're going to play a little game of like uh, basically play your cards right. I've put these items in, twen- in, a, in a list of the top 20. So I'm going to give you the figure and then you're going to get the next figure and you've got to tell me whether it's higher or lower in the list of 20. So I have got them all on a wheel decide. We're going to go Steve and Mark first. okay? so the first figure that we are looking at in my list. So it's come up with (laughs) a bike. uh, No, it hasn't. Lando Skiff. okay? so Mark and um, and Steve Lando Skiff was voted the third favorite amongst the people I asked. So just going to spin the wheel again. Do you think Squidhead? was higher or lower on the list? Lower. Lower. I, I would say, Steve, what do you reckon, mate? Yeah, lower. Absolutely. We, we, we're going lower, Stu. That's a, a good choice, especially being third with the uh, Lando Skiff. Squidhead is eighth, so that gives them a bit of a harder... So eighth, Squidhead, Jez and Craig. You have got Reeves. Do you think he would be higher or lower voted by Ooh. these scoundrels? 
Uh, what I think is uh, just a bit of advice. Don't necessarily go with what I say because I, I don't I don't do very well in quizzes. Squidhead has got the accessories. You know, you're talking. It's got the skirt. It's got the cape. It's got the belt. It's got the staff. So extra kudos for that. Really, uh, Reese is a is an interesting character with a shady past. So um, I, I'm I'm quite content for you to go with what you think. A little bit higher, but not much. You think Reese is higher? Oh, sorry, no. Yeah, Squidhead. I think Squid. I, I think Squidhead might might just have the edge here. Sorry, yeah, lower. Okay, you're correct to go lower. He Reese was down in 18th, which uh, Steve and Mark will be happy with because there can only be two figures below them. <laughs> so Steve and Mark, uh, Leia Poncho has come out. Oh, it's got to be higher. Yeah, it's got to be higher. 100% are you? Both confident with that? Yeah. Yep. Yes, well done. Leia Poncho is up in sixth. So not a straightforward for the other two again. So you boys, a bit of Leia. Um, how about a bit of hand trench? Do you think he's higher or lower than Leia Poncho? What's your initial What's your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts are hand would be lower than Leia. Oh, oh tricky one. Okay. I just think she's, she's, a, she's a very elegant figure. Mm. I'm just trying to think of the five figures ahead of her. Then, uh, th- do these include Power of the Force, or is this just no, no, pu- up to seventy-seven? Return of the Gen, Gen right. Return of Gen, right? Okay. I don't know. I mean, when I, when I think of decent figures ahead of her, all right. Let's go with what you're saying. Let's yeah. go with what you're saying that she has the edge over Han. I think it's going to be close. Han is down in fifteenth. You were right oh, to follow wow. Craig's lead there. So Han, well done, fifteenth. So Steve and Mark, you're looking at a fifteenth here. Uh, we're going up with a Leia Bush. Han oh. Trench versus Leia Bush. It's Leia Han Leia here. Uh, uh, Leia Bush much higher. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, higher, higher for Leia Bush. Higher for Leia Bush. Well, you did well to go with that. She's up in second. Second. But it does give does it give does it give Craig and Jez an easy run here now? Just spun the wheel. Craig and Jez, Leia Bush yeah. is second. You're going higher yeah. or lower. The figure is the Emperor's Royal Guard. Oh he's the, he's the one figure I'd put higher. <laughs> yeah, see, I I think that, no, this is obviously sharing a lot with the other two who would already be aware of this anyway. I would say that Luke Jedi is probably top three. Bearing in mind, we've already got a two. <laughs> we had a number um, three as well. Have we had so, a number three? Yeah, oh. Lando Skiff. That's where we started. Skiff, yeah. Emperor's Royal Guard is is. Leia Bush was second. <sighs> There's eighteen figures above her and one figure below her. Oh, you're such a you're such a little tinker. Go, on, Craig. It's a, it's a it's a popular figure. It's. It's a popular figure. Luke, <laughs> Luke Jedi. Luke, oh, I see. Oh. <sighs> the odds are against us, aren't they? Go on. Go on. Go with it because I trust. I trust. Put all our money on red. Stu, we're going with Craig's answer. Which was Craig? Uh, hang on. Which way around is it again? Higher will be better. Lower will be worse. Right. Higher. Yeah. You're going higher. So Leia Bush was second. <laughs> you were right to go with it, Craig. He actually was first. Which does well, mean you've given the other two a bit of an easy answer. <laughs> you boys, you boys have got Admiral so Akbar. Oh no! Oh, uh, Do you think he's higher or lower? Oh, this is a trap. Oh, I think I think we'll go lower, shall we? Lower than okay. number one. <laughs> You're right. Akbar's down in fourteenth, which is going to give the other boys. Another problem, but they just did very well. They uh, took a risk rather than playing the numbers. Boys, 14th was Admiral Akbar. You've just spun out Emperor. 
Oh, mm. see, I, I think people will, will prefer him for the relevance of the figure, even though it should have been a cloaked better figure. It's it's a pretty rubbish figure, but it's it has relevance. So that's why I think it needs to be in the sort of above 14th. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There ain't no Return of the Jedi without the Emperor. A more popular figure than Admiral Akbar, Ultimate fish face. <laughs> the ultimate jazz. <laughs> Full teams, Akbar, you're going higher. Yeah? Yep. Yep. Well done. The Emperor was the 11th favourite. So we're, just, we're in the middle of a bit of middle ground here because Steve and Mark, you've got Weeky has come out. Weekway, whichever way you want to say it. We'll say it the correct way, which is Weekway. <laughs> Oh, I knew that. I just like uh, just like to sometimes mix it up a bit, Mark. That's yeah. what makes me so um, interesting. No, let, I, I, I would go for lower. What do you reckon, Steve? Yeah, I think lower. Good shout, because he is 20th, which consequently, <laughs> the other two had it easy last time. You two had it easy this time. Now, Jez and Craig are going to have it easy. Craig and Jez, you've got Wicket. But knowing that Wicket is 20th, I think you might know where this is going to go. Higher. It is. Hey, He's in 17th. 17th, we're running out and everything's still level. So Steve and Mark, 17th was Wicket. We're looking at Klaatu, the skirted Klaatu, not the skiff guard. 17th is Wicket. Is he higher or lower than Wicket? What's it out of 20? Yeah. Yeah, there's only, below him, there's only, there's only a gap for 19th place now. I want to say, Steve, I'm really impressed. I wondered whether anyone else would be uh, switched on to that. To be marking off where the numbers are gone. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've got my little list of. So Steve and Mark have got an advantage top, here because they've used their off. common sense. <laughs> well, Steve has. I never liked Clatu. I don't know, mate. What, what, what's your what's your thoughts? I I'm I am tempted to put in nineteenth in between Weekway and Reese. I think that's kind of where he sits. I I, yeah. I I I would I would agree with you, mate, and I think it's worth the risk. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, okay, we're going to go for lower. Wow. The balls here. The balls are big. And uh, that's why you've got it right. He was 19th. Well done, lads. Again, though, you've given the other two an easy in. They've got an easy in. Rebel Commando, uh, Jez and uh, Craig. Go on, Craig. Well, he's higher then, isn't he? He has to be higher. We don't need to confer here. Surprising, actually. He did well. He got up into 10th. So that gives... That gives uh, Steve and Mark a little bit of a problem because he's in 10th. You've got nine numb. Uh, Rebel Commando's 10th. We got below 10, Steve, do you know? Uh, there, There's the gap in 12th, 13th and 16th. He's, he's got to be lower than the Rebel Commando. I think so. I'm gonna, I would say he's either 12th or 13th. Oh, he's still wearing his pyjamas, isn't he? So let's, let's go for lower. Well done, boys. He's in 13th. Yeah. Wow. You boys are smashing it. Let's just see. I haven't pressed the button, so I don't know what figure the other two are getting. So 13th is 9 numb. Interesting one here for uh, Jez and Craig. The ATST driver. Mm, that is an interesting one. So we're looking at above or below 13. Yeah. Yeah. However, I think Steve has just made it obvious that the only spare one below 13 is number 16, I think, if I heard that right. Which means that Klaatu Skiff and some of the other goons have got to be above him. Don't remember there was more than 20 figures, Jez. This is only the top oh, 20. Oh, this is just the top 20, of course. Oh, blimey. What do you think, Craig? Because, I mean... Damn. How many slots are left below him? One. So I think we've got number 16 left. But obviously, yeah, that doesn't really 
Yeah, six, six slots in total. 13th was nine num. You're looking for where ATST driver is. You see, I think, again, from a relevance point of view, he's not as relevant as nine num because people will have a little bit of pleasure from nine num because of the mail away factor. Because I definitely remember getting that in the post. So, therefore, I think, yeah, yeah, actually, nine num's got a bit more relevance in my collection. ATST driver, not so much. But as you say, playing the numbers, Craig, I'll go with you again, man. Yeah, should we do that? Higher. Higher's incorrect. He is 16th. <gasps> he is 16th. So Mark and Steve have now got a bit of control. And they're going to have an easy one here because Steve knows his numbers. You've got Bib Fortuna. Oh, higher. He yeah. is. He's up in seventh, which I was surprised he was higher than what I was expecting. Yeah. So a bit of pressure on the other two then because there's only four spaces left and there's two above and two below. All right, yeah. Bib Fortuna in seventh. You've got low grey. I think he'd be lower. Low grade doesn't really do it for me. There's a lot of Ewoks. And uh, Yuana Wanga, I think uh, I think Bib's got to be up there a little bit more important. I, I would agree with that. Good stuff, good stuff. You're right, he's in 12th. But uh, I think that might just give the other two uh, a bit of an easier, easier one. You've got um, Biker Scout. Oh, <laughs> easy peasy. Oh, I am it, Steve. <laughs> yep. Even without knowing that they're only higher options, I think it'd be really <laughs> higher anyway. <laughs> you are right. So, boys, the last ones. There's only two figures left. Uh, what, is, what number did what number did he come in, mate? Uh, number five. Oh, right. So, and they're and they're close together numbers. If you haven't been following, you should have been listening. So yeah. Steve's not going to help you. You've got one that's higher and one that's yeah. lower. Yeah. And biker scout. You've got yeah. Luke Jedi. Oh, mentioned earlier on, wasn't he? Mm, yeah. I don't think there's going to be one which is above him logic i would i would say luke jedi is above yeah but he is he's in fourth and that is the end because the other boys know that the game guard is going to be ninth steve and mark you win yes. now you know you get to choose though you get to choose between jez and craig who is <laughs> going to do this month's little task which so, is yeah, which one do you think would be fun <laughs> well they've got to make an eight page brochure catalog <laughs> packing to go in with anything we ever produce um <laughs> with anything to do with generation skywalker in oh, in eight pages craig craig, yeah, craig, 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 hasn't got, craig hasn't got enough to do has he? Are, you, are you sure just think about your answer yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> craig, and definitely in a die cut formation of one of your crates that's the way to make that work Yes. Yeah. No offence take cross little uh, cruciform thing. I'm going to be honest. I'd love to have seen Jez do it because you would have guaranteed it would have had to cut them out of magazines, stick them in, <laughs> photocopy. Yeah, I'd have ended up with crayons around my chin and everything. <laughs> Salotape the middle of the booklet so it folded, kind of. That's right. <laughs> Rather than staples, I'd have to use the stapler. I just. Well, there you go, Craig. A little, a little challenge for you. Thanks. <laughs> well, before we go, then. Uh, people please check out our youtube channel where all our shows are now enhanced and um, just go over there and search for generation skywalker go onto any social media so instagram twitter and facebook search generation skywalker you will find our links and of course go to www.generationskywalker.com where you will um, find links to everything including some blogs which at the moment only craig has contributed to mark was going to do what went to that what was that about your, <laughs> about your art Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've always done that, yeah. 
Well, there you go. So you've got that to look forward to. It might even be out before this podcast. You never know. Um, Actually reminded me about that. Okay. That's all right. But that is coming. We're available on all of the podcast outlets. And please, if you do have 30 seconds, please, please, please go and leave us a, a review either on Podbean, on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us. But it is for those old fossils this month. It is goodbye from Steve. Nice to have you on, Steve. Been a real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me along. Yes, been very nice to have you on, Steve. No, nice to catch up, mate. Good night from Mark. See you at the party, Richter. Excellent. Um, <laughs> see you later, Craig. Cheerio. And it is good night from Jez. See you later, fellas. See you next time. Cheers, Steve. Lovely to chat with you. And it is good night from me. We are Generation Skywalker. <laughs>